Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Bruce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, you bet, Harold, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. As I'm pausing to make sure my technology is working, joining us from the second congressional district of New Mexico, soon to be the U.S. representative from that region, Yvette Harrell. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. You look and sound great. Things must be going good in New Mexico. You know what? We're working hard. I tell you, we sure are. We've got not too many more weeks before the primary, and so we're just keeping our heads down and and working hard over here. So my favorite town, you know my favorite town in New Mexico? I bet you're going to tell me rodeo. No, I'm going to tell you Portales because it's the only one that airs my show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I'll go. I'll go. I believe that. No, That's a good one. No, I just had to, you know, be there. But Rodeo, New Mexico. Who wouldn't want to live in Rodeo, New Mexico? Rodeo, New Mexico. There you go. I have people down there. I have friends down there. So it's great. Why do you want to be in the Congress? You know what? The, my passion for serving people. I served in the state uh, New Mexico legislature for eight years, and I understood at that time just how critical it was and how important it is to know and to have the right people elected. Because even though you're running for a position where your your district votes you in or out of office, you know you're making decisions that affect everybody's life. And when you understand that's that's a pretty uh, compelling argument to make sure it really does matter who's making decisions for us. And I think we've just gotten away from common sense leadership. There are some fantastic people in Congress. I've got great endorsements. Uh, But at the same time, we in this rural communities um, where I will represent, we just don't have a real voice at the table. Every single one of our uh, delegation are progressive Democrats. And it's time that we bring common sense back to the table. Yeah, the first time I met a progressive Democrat, if that's what they want to be called, was Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City. And I met him because he wanted to end the horse and carriage business in New York City. And so I started paying more attention to him. I interviewed him a couple of times, and it didn't go really well. Uh, In fact, he called me a couple of names on the air, which was rather fun. But now he's talking about shutting down churches, and he's picking on the Jewish community. These, I don't think people really understand what the progressive Democrats you speak of are doing. Right. I mean, really, what, what I'm finding fascinating in New Mexico is I believe people are starting to waken up to, yes, we have the coronavirus, the pandemic happening, and that's serious. But little by little, we're seeing our constitutional rights stripped away where this, you know, where we're not allowed to gather for church, for worship, where our governor has decided to pick winners and losers in terms of who's closed for business, who's open. So everybody here is being driven to shop at the big box stores, you know, the Walmarts, the Sam's Club, those types of stores. But where our mom pop grocers, our small cafes, our uh, liquor stores, you know, our little businesses in these rural communities, I, I am fearful that some of them won't recover from this. Obviously, it's the top of mind for those of us that are entrenched in these ideas, Yvette. But you have no idea that on my Loose Tales radio program today, my topic was everybody's looking at monopolies in the food business. Everybody wants to blame the meat packers, which I'm not a meat packer fan. There's some things that need to be fixed. But the true food monopoly 
is at the retail level, and you just name the three entities that control what people have access to buy, what they're uh, nudged That's into right. buying. And we're, ha- we're not having a discussion about where the real monopoly is. If we want a reset button in our food system... At that yeah. retail level and that control, that's where we look. Is, is that something? Obviously, it's in your bailiwick. Well, yeah, of course it is because now, you know, the consumer choice is not even there anymore. I mean, like I said, we're dri- we're being driven to shop at, you know, two or three stores where the choices aren't there. We have to buy whatever they have in stock, whatever they're purchasing to put on their shelves. And at the end of the day, it's killing small businesses. And it, it's just there is no parity. This is so unfair. What I what I've complained about on the radio and everywhere else is, you know, I get the seriousness of what's happening, but at the same time, to not have the business community, the business owners at the table from the onset, let them decide: can they shut down? Can they keep their doors open and do it with the guidelines in place and and try to continue to generate the revenues that they need? You know, we're looking at feed stores. We're looking at places who have families who've been in business for generations who are now doors shut, people have lost their jobs, and they have no way of having a conversation or a vote in the matter in terms of can we stay open, do we want to stay open. It, it, it's just such an unfair thing for the government to come in, like, again, pick winners and losers, and force our small businesses to shut their doors. Obviously, I went to the <laughs> sector because it's the one that's most close to me, but right. what you're speaking to is the United States post COVID-19. By the way, it's a virus that will run its course. Small businesses were struggling because of government growth and big government reaching out and and creating hurdles that small business owners at every step of the way in in rural America were dealing with. What are we going to do? Because I also don't believe that the government comes in and, and controls and dictates business. So how do we free the restrictions from small business to thrive after this? Well, I think you just kind of made a great point in terms of the regulatory problems. And that's an issue that's that's industry-wide. But what I find fascinating is look how many regulations they've relaxed through this pandemic so that we could get through things quickly. So we understand now that, yes, there are some regulations that are in play because they are important, but there are a lot more and a lot more departments that make it even tougher for small business owners. And so I think we look, we take a hard look at seeing how, you know what, these relate, these regulations can be eased. I mean, let's be honest, people that are investing their life, their, their life savings or their time, their energy to grow a business are not going to do anything that is, uh, blatantly wrong or unhealthy for the community, obviously, or for the consumers they serve. They want to be successful. So definitely easing these regulatory issues are enormous. And we see that across the board in every single district, I mean, in every single industry, the regu- regulatory issues. Um, so I know that we can look at those, ease some of those regulatory problems that we're facing. But we've got, we, you know, there it's an uphill battle with the expense of doing business. And in a state like New Mexico, not only do you deal with the federal government, you also then have the the state government to deal with. And permitting takes a long time. Jumping through hoops to get, you know, the correct uh, licensing takes a very long time. There's no cooperation. It almost feels as though in some cases government would rather these folks not open their doors for business. And and by virtue of making it so difficult. So you've had my question would be I, I can't remember New Mexico having a champion for uh, being a libertarian or even moderate conservative. Am I hey. wrong? 
Right. No, you're right. The only the only libertarian you would think of in New Mexico would be obviously Gary Johnson, who was mm-hmm. who was you know one of the presidential candidates. But we, um, by and large, were really Democrat Republican. And there are more registered Democrats here, of course. But at the same time, especially in this second congressional district, very conservative. These are business owners, pro Second Amendment, pro life Democrats, pro family. So um, even though the numbers on paper are more registered Democrats. The uh, values are very much shared across the board, you know, with conservatives. And that's what you're banking on in, in that uh, that segment just hasn't had a voice for long enough in the second district. And you're going that's to right. have a voice. That's exactly right. Um, President Trump won this particular district by 10 points in 2016. And clearly his approval rating uh, has gone, you know, way through the roof uh, here. But it's because he's paying attention. You know, we're we're seeing really well before the pandemic, you know, we were seeing growth. I mean, the tax cuts helped our small businesses. I meet with small business owners all the time who were really seeing a lot more uh, money in their pockets, able to infuse money into additional equipment, different things like that. And our rural communities were seeing a good uptick in GRT, our gross receipts tax. Um but again, we've got such a diverse district here in terms of one side of the district, oil and gas industry, which when the oil is good and the markets are, are strong, obviously they generate a lot of money for their communities and for our state budget. On the west side of the district, you have more of our farming ranching communities. So very, very different struggles and very, very different um, uh, challenges on, on either side of the district. Yvette Harrell, our guest today on Rural Route. She's coming to us from what she claims to be the largest congressional district in the United States. That's One not, of them. That's not a state. Oh, now you're already couching your statement. Well, I did you know, I just don't want to be mis I don't want to be misleading, but it is the largest one that's not an individual state. I think mine's pretty big. We're going to compare how big, who's got the biggest when we get back. Okay. I mean, that's okay. the American way, right? More rural That's route. exactly right. We better get out of here. <laughs> Somebody's in trouble. More after this. That's right. And quickly reminding you about the Certified Piedmontese Opportunity of Brenda Beef Program that you can sink your teeth into. Why didn't I think of this before? Certified Piedmontese is tender, meaning you can sink your beef into it well. It's tender because of the Piedmontese cattle. Get more details about how the myostatin gene works for tenderness. And you do that by going to the website, LoneCreekCattleCo.com. You need to ask for Marlon Will, but right now you need to start thinking about calves for 2021. 2020. Those decisions have already been made. You're going to be breeding cows for 2021. Get a hold of Marlon Will, LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Welcome back to Rural Routes. I'm Trent Luce, joining us from New Mexico, a place I haven't been most recently enough. In fact, I remember exactly Yvette Harrell. The last time I was in Rodeo, New Mexico, it was um, right after my friend Rob Krenz was murdered on his ranch by illegals never right. be found by the way the illegals um i went to the spot that he was murdered 60 days to the day after that happened with his beautiful wife sue and it was the first time she'd been there since that happened which i i i said that because number one that just took me back to when i was in new mexico last and number two yeah. you maybe get a question or two about immigration and, and what's going on at that border how hot is that topic right now 
Yeah, that's a big topic. Um, obviously, the pandemic has kind of overshadowed almost everything else. But you'll remember just a couple of, you know, last year even, um, just a huge outcry on the border where, you know, a lot of our, our delegates in Washington, D.C. felt it was more of a humanitarian crisis and really cited on the uh, concern for the illegals. And here we are looking at our ranchers and farmers that have property that border the Mexican-U.S. border. And literally, the border fence is a barbed wire fence in some cases, um, we know the border wall works. It's effective. And so it has been a hot topic. It is not only just for the security of New Mexico. It's a national security issue. And we can see when they've erected the walls down in San Diego, parts of Texas, even around the El Paso sector, you know, further that wall goes, the further it pushes the illegals around the wall. But we have people coming through tra- foot traffic, illicit drugs. You know, we have human trafficking. It is a big, big issue in the state of New Mexico and therefore for the entire country. That same week, I went over to Nogales, Arizona with my buddy Dan Bell. Um, and he ranches west of Nogales. Yeah. That border fence is that three-wire barbed wire fence you spoke of. That's right. And it's like you're That's standing right. there and the cows are grazing. And on that side of the barbed wire fence is your neighbor who happens to be in Mexico. And so I tell this story several times, Yvette, because I think it just creates an image of what's really going on. There's right. a spot where Dan goes to check the fence every morning. And it's like yeah. 12, 12 miles from the, the bunkhouse where they the headquarters. And he goes to yeah. check it because there's a footpath that's worn like a cow path of people crossing. And they were cutting the fence in the same spot every night. Yep. So Dan, just trying to save himself a little hassle, he put a walk-through gate in this. So they would just use the – so they would do that instead of cut the fence every time. Yeah, except they thought that was a trap. So they went 100 feet down the hill and cut the fence in another spot and quit using the gate. And – the reason he goes to check it in that morning, we put out a fire because they come across that late at night, they build a little fire and the yeah. fire, some cinders had gotten away. And he and I, and uh, a friend of ours put out the fire in a, yeah. probably an hour and a half with uh, shovels. And cause he's he used and prepared to things like that. That's yeah. happening every day. And, and I, I want to just remind people, even though I want you to talk, not hear myself talk. We're looking at biosecurity of our country. We are self-distancing. We are told we need to go in quarantine. And yet the entire discussion about illegal immigration, nobody brought up the real risk, which is what diseases are these people who are coming in unchecked bringing to our population? Well, as a livestock owner, that's first and foremost. We've got to monitor what diseases are coming in. And now the people who are causing the biggest stink about COVID-19 were also the people supporting coming in without any health background whatsoever. Right. They're also the ones that want these people to come into the nation and vote. Last year, they took a vote, passed on a party line uh, vote in Washington. Let's allow illegals to vote in our elections. I mean, at the end of the day, let's just be honest. And I think we all know it. I'm sure your listeners do. Everything boils down to politics. You know, right now it's a it's a push. You know, the, the collusion didn't work. You know, the impeachment didn't work. Now we're seeing, you know, Nancy Pelosi and others use this pandemic as a way to do all mail-in ballots, all absentee ballots, another way to to infuse fraud into the voting system. And then down on the border, you know, we have diseases coming in as far as we don't know what they bring in. The traffic as far as just the, the people, foot traffic, the coyotes that are bringing in all kinds of people, the litter, the trash that has left the damage to property. This is what I find fascinating. 
we're always, you know, listening to Washington and they always think about how we're not doing enough for the illegals. The people that are coming in illegal and breaking every law to get here and then getting access to services that we don't even give to our homeless veterans. We don't even think about the property damage, the expense to our ranchers down on the border who are like you just mentioned your friend, having to repair fence, having to put out fires, having to secure their property because of the illegal traffic coming through. Nobody wants to talk about the reality. They want to make it sound as though, well, we're just inhumane. We just don't like people. We're just being mean. No, we're not. We're trying to protect property rights. We're trying to protect our Constitution and our nation. And you left one thing out that I like to spend some time talking about. I've got a friend, uh, Craig Curry with Protect the Harvest. You ever heard of him? I have heard of Craig Curry. Yeah, he does great work. But he taught me that uh, we have 9 million dogs replaced every year in the United States. And every time you turn around, somebody's talking about the overcrowded shelters, right? Right. We only have 2,000 and some licensed breeders. We can document maybe 200,000 at the most right. puppies raised with licensed families in the United States. Where do the rest come from? They come across that border from Mexico with your illegals carrying drugs. Sometimes they put drugs inside the puppies, and then they go turn them loose, and they go into the shelter. We have millions and millions of illegal dogs going into these shelters, and that's a problem that doesn't get any attention. You're right. I mean, that's in fact, that's the first time that I've had this conversation with anybody. I mean, just there are so many things. If you can't understand the border unless you've been to it, like you've visited the border, people that haven't been, you know, especially from the East Coast, who've never been in rural New Mexico or rural anywhere that as far as having a border uh, fence, if you will, they just can't understand that what we're talking about here is a serious it's a serious threat. It's a danger to our public. They don't understand it. But what you mentioned is absolutely true. And we also see cattle sometimes going back and forth, carrying different diseases. I mean, I, I met with a group of ranchers uh, down in Deming, New Mexico, just last year because of a absolute cattle rustling, if you will. I mean, these guys are coming up, gathering up some of these young steers, heifers, putting them in a trailer and taking them down the road. Because it's just crazy what these farmers and ranchers are up against on a day-to-day basis. And it's unfortunate because you don't have to get up in the morning and wonder, is your property been damaged? Has your fence line been cut? You know, is it safe for your kids to even go outside and play or run out to the barn without a parent or somebody carrying a sidearm with them? I mean, it's it's a different kind of challenge that our ranchers face on these in these border communities for sure. I have a friend at Douglas who won't even go check cows calving after dark because it's too dangerous in his own barn. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I... I have friends, the Keelers that live down on the border, down on a ranch that borders uh, Mexico. Same thing. I mean, you know, once once darkness falls, I mean, you're pretty much stuck in your house. And the and the worst part of all is that, you know, we, we have all this amazing technology, all this money in our federal government, and yet we can't provide a good broadband or cell service for these border patrol agents that work down there, for the families that live down there. It's it's very rural. And I mean, so we really kind of leave these people to fend for themselves in some cases. And it's it's unfortunate because they have way bigger burden than just the average getting up. And that that's beside trying to make a living, get your kids to the school bus stop and et cetera. I mean, it's a heavy burden on, on our rural communities. You bet there's no money left in those coffers. We gave it all. There won't be now. In the name of COVID stimulus. Yeah. And what concerns me is if they even think about doing a bailout for the states, I think that's an absolute huge mistake. To me, this would have been a 
a much easier pill to swallow if the federal government had a balanced budget so that we could have, I mean, before all this happened, I mean, that's like putting toothpaste back in the tube. But that's something that we have got to as a country, as a Congress, as an administration, we've got to get serious about balancing this budget. Yeah, I, I happen to live in the most conservative state uh, from a governor standpoint that exists in the United States. Governor Ricketts is the best. Right. And uh, he's going to send money back. Good. He's already to the point where he's going to send money back. How many states do you think are going to do that? One. It'll be yours. I just can't imagine any other state doing it. There may be one or two, but I can tell you right now, I, I, I can tell you if money comes our way, this governor in New Mexico will not be sending it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't even know who's going to pay for it. We always say, well, our kids and our grandkids, I, I don't think they can. I, $6.2 trillion. I don't even know how much that is. What's a trillion? Yeah, nobody does. Nobody even thinks we talk about it like, you know, so nonchalant, you know, so casually. I mean, we were $24 trillion in debt before this. I mean, and, and we were, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, we've, we've placed the burden of this debt on future generations, not one, not two. I mean, way down the road that if we don't get this economy going and back again so that we can salvage these, this, these economic drivers and, and, put people back to work and start doing what we know we need to do. And I, I think Americans as a whole, they're they're not going to stand for being isolated and, and quarantined and the inability to go to church, the inability to have their doors open in their business. I mean, we've, we've got to stand up and, and, and get back to basics here. And that's what we're doing on Roll Route, the first half complete. We'll be back with you bet Carol from New Mexico after this. Yeah, I did mention Craig Curry and Protect the Harvest. Yesterday, President Dale Ludwig from Protect the Harvest was on continuing to work on these issues. That's what Protect the Harvest does, informing and empowering. Get more details at protecttheharvest.com. We'll take a break. We'll be back with the second half. Yvette Harrell from New Mexico after this. Welcome back to Roll Route. I'm Trent Luce alongside Yvette Harrell. Well, not literally alongside. It'd be nice to be alongside today. It'd One be great. We'll do this from New Mexico. Unless, of course, you come to Nebraska. You just, Hey, we'll just make it happen one way or the other. Have you thought about moving? To Nebraska? Yeah. Yeah, I thought about this morning when we got on, the, you know, got on and I thought, I should just move. <laughs> Yeah, but it, then it, I thought... Adrian <laughs> Smith, my congressional uh, U.S. congressman, he's getting a little complacent, so you need to come up and, you know, put some heat on him. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll do. All right, so you and I, is the piranha okay? Uh-huh. Yeah, she, can you hear? I wish you could see her. She's sitting right there just staring at you. <laughs> I get that all the time, actually. I don't know what it is. She's. It, it must be the hat. It's the fact that I don't wear a mask. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, she's probably thinking you're not social distancing. Yeah, exactly. That dude's not listening to Fauci. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Okay, so you and I have been driving the conversation in the area of topic that, that we are passionate about, and I don't think we've got right. all of your passions. What's the largest? Is Albuquerque in your district? Yeah, it's the largest uh, city in the state, but not in the district. In your district, what's the largest city? Las Cruces, which is where, yeah, New Mexico State University is in Las Cruces. Oh, good luck with that. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, so if you're in, that's a great place, Las Cruces. If you're in Las Cruces and people just start asking you questions, basically trying to get at what's top of mind 
for the typical voter in New Mexico today in a place like Las Cruces, not a rural rodeo, Las Cruces. Right. In Las Cruces. Well, right now, clearly, the conversations are uh, really drifting to when are we going to open up our economies? When are we going back to work? Before that, though, uh, we still have a lot of concerns about, obviously, the border security. That's that's really one of the top ones. Our legislature this year passed a red flag bill um, and, and got it passed. The governor signed it. Second Amendment is huge here. And so we have a lot of conversations about how we overcome the the bills that are getting passed. They're very very uh the agenda is not for the the conservative i mean we had we tried to get they tried to get and thank god it it failed was the um, uh emphasize you know we have already abortion up to day of birth in the state of new mexico um so there's a lot of concern about about pro-life issues but we also have a very large um population of veterans here and what one of the big problems is and the challenges is our veterans are having to travel great distances to have their appointments. Um, so if you live in a, even in Las Cruces and even outside of Las Cruces, you may have to travel to Albuquerque, sometimes El Paso. So we, we've we just got a, a ton of different issues, but a lot of it also stems on a ready, willing workforce. And that's a nationwide problem, but we do not have a workforce to keep our businesses going and uh, especially our, our, our ag industries where they can produce to full capacity. So, I mean, it's just, it's just a gamut across the board, you know, regulation is a big one. Um, Endangered Species Act is a big one. I mean, we just have a lot of good conversations happening because people understand that we need change in this state and in this nation. Yeah. You seem to live in an area that finds some pretty unique uh, reptiles, uh, I'm not reptiles, amphibians and birds and different things that are considered to be endangered to try to cripple the industries, including agriculture. And oh, yeah. That's been, a, that's been a big deal. It's huge. In fact, uh, the spotted owl back in the 70s, the Endangered Species Act, you know, they listed that spotted owl. And because of that, we lost our entire timber industry. New Mexico has, you know, you think of desert when you think New Mexico, but we actually have quite a bit of forest land here now our forests, just like they are in all the western states, they're they're dying. It's not you know if they're going to burn, it's when. And now, and by virtue of not taking care of our forests and the health of our forests, we're killing our our watersheds. And and people just don't understand how it's all kind of connected together. And now we have forests that are completely devastated with with overgrowth, with you know bark beetle, with all kinds of things because we don't have a healthy forest in New Mexico. And I become more of a Theodore Roosevelt fan every single day because Theodore Roosevelt was a conservationist, and the true conservationists utilize a resource. They don't preserve a resource. And you live in a state where resources have been preserved, and now you're to the point where they're burning up, the water's not there because the trees are using it more than the ability to use it to grow food or whatever the case may be. How do we turn the tide on that? How do you fix uh, the preservation aspect of the resources. Yeah, well, one of the things we have to do is really be thoughtful. Again, and I said this at the very beginning, it matters who's making decisions because in this state, we've seen a lot of folks uh, from from different states, California, uh, you know, even from the East Coast, move to New Mexico. And then what they do is they get involved and they get on our school boards, our, our uh, chamber boards, our water conservation district boards, you know, our city commissions, county commissions, state legislature. These are the people now that are making the decisions and the folks that are really uh, have the heart to, to conserve our natural resources in the correct way. 
they don't have a seat at the table. They don't have a voice. And now we're seeing everything shift to giving these environmentalists the ability to make the decisions. You know, we're giving the uh, coyotes and, and Mexican gray wolves more rights than we are the farmers and ranchers and people that live in New Mexico. You know, we're diverting water to places that uh, take it away from the downstream users in terms of farming, ranching, you know, public use. And the, the other thing is these wilderness study areas, you know, where they take these large swaths of land and designate them as a study area, but they don't de- you know, they don't delist them. But in the meantime, you know, our ranchers do not have access to them because they treat them as a wilderness area. It is really a battle of the land out here in terms of um, how well our rural communities in terms of ranching and how productive they can be. They're up against regulation, the environmentalists, the Endangered Species Act, and then the people that will not help them on the state and federal level. Can I correct you and say the pseudo environmentalists because the actual environmentalists yeah. are the men and women on the land right, taking right. care of the land, not the people who are using it to extort money from the general public. That's exactly right. You're right, and that, that's exactly right. But um, you know, so these are just what's the what's the shame is these are just common sense approaches because to me, there's no better steward for our our lands everywhere in the country, in my opinion, than the people that live on or near them or make their living from them. You know, the ranchers, you know, the back in the day, you know, our our loggers, you know, even the oil and gas industry, they are very mindful of the environment. They want their footprint to be very small. Uh, We see now technology in terms of the oil and gas industry. They're, you know, lessening the amount of emissions, but the production levels are up. Um, They're very clean. They've really put into practice good good technology and skill sets that help the environment. But we're fighting this battle constantly in terms of water, private property rights, access to public lands. And then this Endangered Species Act has been huge in in all across the board. It affects every single uh, entity in terms of a rural rural industry. Do you have uh, reservations in your district? Yes, I have one. It's the Mascalero Apache uh, Reservation, which is just outside of Riodoso. And um, it's really great because we can point to the reservation just east of where I actually live. Their forest is in amazing shape. They take care of their forest. I mean, to the point where they are actually, the reservation is actually able to do contracts for grazing, cattle grazing, because they've got such a nice forest, the clean forest floor. You can actually graze. There's a lot of uh, fields and and different places that where they can actually graze livestock because they've done it right. And it's it's such a diverse difference between how well their forest has been managed and then just literally right across the fence, you see what the U.S. Forest Service has done with the Lincoln National Forest, which is nothing. And it's a shame to see the, the condition of our forest properties now in New Mexico. And has that reservation not given up sovereign immunity? They have not. And so they they do their own forest. Uh, in fact, they have their own plant. In fact, they used to have a much larger um, they have a much larger mill. They don't now, but because they've kept they've kept up with it. But they do have one for a uh, mill on their reservation. Years ago, they had a huge mill down in the town that I live in. But of course, that had closed down since we stopped doing the logging in the Lincoln. So um, but it, it's just remarkable to think, you know, common sense you know, just plays such a huge role in this. And there's a lack of it when it comes to making decisions, uh, especially for our forests. And I suppose it's worthy of me drawing an illustration on why I ask you that, because the sovereign immunity comes in 
it's a sovereign nation, so they don't have to prescribe to the same, particularly the state rules and regulations that the citizens of North uh, New Mexico have to. And consequently, they can manage that resource locally and as they see fit. And when you can do right. that, you have a better resource. You really do. You really do. And and just the and the preserva- uh, preservation of their land is just, you know, it's it's fantastic. Um, you know, and then this this particular tribe is really blessed because they are right there with the ski area. You know, they have that ski area. They have uh, the Inn of the Mountain Gods. You know, they have a very, very great resource opportunity not right now obviously with this pandemic because they have opted to close their uh their facility their casino and hotel their resort uh by virtue of being good neighbors to the village the village of Ridoso and others around them and plus nobody's traveling in and out of state right now for the purpose of destination you know vacation type Rio Doso isn't there a pretty nice horse track there very nice Ridoso Downs racetrack um, and I heard yesterday, and this, I don't know if this is going to happen, but we heard yesterday that the governor will allow the horses, because the, tra- uh, the track, they start running horses um, the end of this, the end of May or first part of May. I, I can't remember the exact date, don't want to misquote, but I heard yesterday they're going to allow horses to run, but without a grandstand, without people. And I'm, I'm just not quite sure how that, how that is really going to look. And does that affect the purses? Does that affect you know, the, the betting and, and what, what does that look like other than allowing the horses to run? I don't know. Uh, I live 50 miles from Grand Island, Fauner Park. They've been doing the same thing. They have been racing horses, but they don't have anybody in the grandstands. I'm, I'm told the horses don't know a difference. They're yeah, running. I don't think. I don't think the horses are depressed or anything. I think they're still running for the gold. Yeah, yeah, I bet they are. I bet they don't care. Kind of, yeah, that's what I love about animals. You know what? They just don't get caught up in all this. They don't care. You yeah, Harold, my guest. We've got one segment left. We will come back and figure out where we're going to go with that when we return. Roll okay. right after this. And this is where I remind you about the Nutrition Coalition. When it comes to politics, there should not be politics involved in formulating dietary advice, and yet there has been. And the consumer, you the consumer, have paid the price. Get more details about how you can be involved in forcing, yes, forcing rigorous, who would ever guess you'd have to force your government into rigorous science about proper diet and health and nutrition? Well, that's exactly what the Nutrition Coalition is doing, holding their feet to the fire, and your assistance is welcomed. I'm not asking for money. I'm just asking for your involvement and awareness. Details on the web, www.nutritioncoalition.us. Think about it like this, Nutrition Coalition. It's us working together, .us. Make sense? Welcome back. Roll route. I'm Trent Luce. You've got Harold, my guest, joining us from New Mexico, thinking about making her a regular contributor. Because you have nothing hey. else to do, right? I mean, you're sitting well, right in this room by yourself, campaigning over Zoom and Skype. So, yeah, you might as well. Yeah, I might as well. I mean, I'd, I'd love it. <laughs> uh, the best offer I've had all day. You mean that little rat terrier piranha hasn't given you a better offer yet? No, she's she's working my last good nerve, but she got bored with us and she went on. <laughs> Your last good nerve. Are you an animal person, period? I I am. Yeah, I am. And your favorite animal? 
dogs, always been dogs. I used to show dogs for people. Oh. Yeah. What's your breed preference? Well, I am a big breed person, so right now I have Great Dane. Uh, she's a rescue. Had a couple of them, but I only have one she now. I lost my legally from Mexico. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, she's <laughs> no, but I'm pretty sure she's a Democrat because she doesn't want to work and she expects food in her bowl every day. So I'm pretty. We got some work to do there, but uh, yeah, I've always had a special heart for my in my heart, special place for dogs. But any animals, you know, we we grew up. We were blessed. We grew up. We had horses. We had you know, a small place and had cattle. And so we really, you know, I grew up in Cloudcroft. I don't even know if you know where that is. It's like a dot. I kind of got Rand McNally in my head, but Cloudcroft, is that Cloudcroft? Cloudcroft, yep. Little tiny. I don't know where that is. Yeah, it's a little tiny uh, town up in the mountains, right in the Lincoln National Forest. And uh, you've heard of the gosses, the water problem, the water fight we've had for the gosses. Um, Spike goss and... Okay, so this is the town, the biggest, you know, the town of about 400 people closest to them. But, um, yeah, I grew up in, I mean, right in the heart of rural New Mexico. So I kind of like you a bit, but I have to tell you that you're running a, a second distant or a distant second to my favorite New Mexico chick ever. Oh, who is that? Well, that I was trying to preempt you to say, well, who would that be, Trent? I, you, I fell for it. Linda Davis. Do you know Linda Davis? She's up more like Raton. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I know the name, though. Oh, I mean, I may every, be pretty... every, Everybody should. She grew up on the Bell yeah. Ranch in a chuck wagon. Yeah. Her father was the, the chuck wagon cook for the ranch hands at the Bell Ranch. Last time I interviewed her, I think she was 82, and she had to leave early because she had to get home. We were at Albuquerque in a meeting, but she had to get home because the CPR training was taking place, and she was the only EMT in the county. Isn't that awesome? And she's 82. God love her. Yeah, I think that they're involved with the cattle growers, I bet they you. They are, yes. Right? That's, yeah, because I'm at those. That's why I'm like, I, I know who that is. But, I, yeah. yeah. Isn't that great? Rural, rural, rural America. I mean, rural people just giving up their time. So selfless. I love that. I hope they found someone, though, to train and take her place and get ready to do something so she can take a little break from it. I don't think she's leaving. I think she's just going to stick around. Good. Good. So you've had in my mind the biggest one thing that we need to figure out is if if you look at, uh, obviously I'm sixth generation, so I'm biased, sixth generation on a farmer ranch. My family came from Germany in 1832, and we've been taking care of land and livestock since. And for 20 years I've been talking about bridging that gap between rural, excuse me, rural and urban America. Yeah, I've done a horrible job because it's worse now than ever before. And it would seem to me that the answer for most of the U.S.'s problems is who can bridge that gap between rural and urban America. And if if you as an elected official are not striving to accomplish that, I think we're all in trouble. Yeah, because you're right. It's just very divisive. There's just it's a misunderstanding of way of life, how things work. Um, I think a lot of things that the issues that we have problems with, I think sometimes we can point back to the education system um, because in my mind, it feels as though we're missing opportunities to really teach our children in terms of what, where meat comes from, how ranches operate, what the hard work is. It, it becomes very divisive because people in the inner cities do not understand. I mean, I have actually been in committee meetings 
where people have stood up and said, you know, why are you so, con- so concerned about these grazing issues or these ranching issues? Our meat comes from Walmart. I mean, there is a real, and I mean, I'm not kidding, that happened. And yeah. there's a real disconnect on on kind of bridging that gap so people will understand it. I think a real, a real opportunity that's being missed is, really giving the kids that are growing up in these schools, both in both the rural schools, they can understand urban living, but the urban students, they can understand rural. They can understand where food really comes from, what a, far, a day in the life of a farmer looks like. And I think that could be part of it. But right now we're, we're always fighting against, you know, the, uh, the, the curriculums that do not include those type of topics. You know, in our community, in our schools out here, we don't even have shop or home ec or, or any kind of classes that would give students a basic skill set when they get out of high school, because not everybody's going to college. Um, but we're, I think we're missing the boat when we're not educating kids broadly enough. Yesterday, uh, our freshmen, we have three girls, they're 22, 17, and 15, and our freshman Landry, uh, obviously when Zoom is happening and classrooms are happening in the house, you hear bits and pieces, and then at the dinner table right. we talk about those things. And we actually found a parallel between COVID-19, how the government has responded, and the Civil War. Wow. Well, think about it. The the challenge that New Mexico, Nebraska, or Georgia has is the federal government telling us how to take care of, and, and my governor, Pete Ricketts, has constantly been telling the White House, don't sit in D.C. or New York and tell me how to manage nebraska when it comes to covid and and it really goes back to the constitution something that somebody wants to get rid of and even though our education system teaches our kids that the civil war was all about slavery right it was about states rights and that gets that's right the equation and i think that you're you're spot on i think there's nothing more important than fixing the education system because we're not educating kids anymore we are brainwashing them into our collective way of thinking that's right and it's not, to me, it's indoctrination, but it isn't just at the college level like we kind of thought of and knew of for years. Um, it's all the way down to our to our pre, you know, preschool. I mean, here's the thing that, and this is how I just point to education all the time. In New Mexico, when you're having, you know, not, and I'm not judging, but I'm just saying, when you take children, uh, pre preschool type children and four, five, six-year-olds to the library, so cross-dressers. Uh, can read them books for that read, you know, the hour of having a book read to you at the library that what kind of message are we sending? I mean, we're, we're confusing our kids. These are conversations that ought to be happening at the dinner table in individual families. Not the kids should not be learning about these, the sexual orientation and this, you know, LBGT community. That's things to me that the parents ought to have the choice in having those conversations with how you bring your children up. But now it's being just, pushed on them. And that's just one thing. I mean, but how we, how America, we're, we're taking our history out of history books. So they are getting told whatever the curriculum looks like. And it's not looking like what the true American uh, growth was in terms of how we were founded and up to current time. We're just getting bits and pieces. And unfortunately, it, it's a reflection of what now the mindset is when we look at some of the people that are running for office or elected to office, look at what's happening in Washington. Look at AOC. Look at some of the things that are coming out of Washington, D.C. in terms of ideas and conversations. It's crazy. It's scary. And, and my heart goes out to the teachers because I think they're sure. not allowed to teach anymore. But the other thing that they do that I, I really struggle with, and, and this comes back to what you were talking about at the beginning in New Mexico and logging, you bet, and that is that 
I saw the girls bringing home, and we, by the way, we live in, there's 15 kids per class. So, I mean, it's, yeah. there's 100 kids K through yeah. 12. Uh, so it's not a big school, but the girls were bringing home this weekly reader thing from CNN. And they had this, when they were in grade school, they had this thing, I think Ranger Rick, which was all about preserving instead of conserving the forest and places like that. These little subliminal messages that you were talking they about are. not only come through the curriculum, they come through in additional things that are sent in as educational guides for teachers. Right. I mean, I don't think people just really stop and pay attention to, and maybe maybe the blessing of this coronavirus in terms of all of the students in New Mexico and around the country having to be homeschooled, maybe this will be a real eye-opener for the, the parents that are helping their kids now with their homeschool studies to see just how much influence is coming into the classroom that, you know, build as, like you just said, education. But, but what they're really doing is the part of the indoctrination. And, you know, and it, to me, it really starts pitting, you know, good, solid conservative uh, conservationists against these kind of radical ideas. And, and at the end of the day, I think we can come together with some, some sense of, of agreement on how we can preserve our natural resources, but it becomes then a fight. You know, it's always that line in the sand is getting deeper and deeper for many, many topics and industries and education. And it becomes, you know, if you don't agree, then you're the enemy. And I think that that's what's getting uh, indoctrinated into our kids more and more. Two minutes, Yvette. Your your closing profound bits of wisdom are all related to how we come out of this current quarantine, get the economic engine back running. How do we make that happen? We start letting the businesses open up safely. We give them the tools and the opportunities they need to open their doors, especially in rural America where these these folks are counting on having some sort of income. Stop relying heavily on government uh, handouts to get us through this and let the spirit of America come forth and let's get our economies back on track and start moving forward and get things moving and, and, and save our nation and save our future in terms of these dollars that are being spent daily from the federal government. We can't afford to do it this way, but the American people know how to get things done. And I say, let's open up our economies and let's put Americans back to work. Well, I think you have a problem because you started by saying you're trying to figure out how to move to Nebraska. Instead, I think you've now inspired a whole bunch of people to move to the second district of (laughs) New Mexico. Well, we'll let them. We'll come up. We'll we'll take them. We'll take them. You need need to prove that they're citizens, though, first, right? Oh, yeah. Because I was going to ask you, you said you came from Germany. and I'm just not sure if I should be on the show with you. Are you even legal? I thought about asking you. Uh, I kind of go with you. You ask for forgiveness, not permission. And nobody's asked me to prove it yet. So, you know, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love it. Do you want to give us a website before I say goodbye? Yeah, I hope everybody will uh, go to the website. It's Yvette, that's Y-V-E-T-T-E, Harrell, H-E-R-R-E-L-L.com. They can find me there. I'd appreciate continued prayers for this race, for our country, for our president. And if they want to support me, I'd love for them to follow us on Facebook or make a contribution. But just com. It's that simple. 
I think we should just get a new website for abreathoffreshair.com. Oh, We've thank successfully you. journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. Both, give that to myself, remind you, all roads do lead to a rural route. And the final thing I'd like to remind you about today is that Team Loose, our pig operation and the pork business and the bread goat business and the semen business, semen to Mexico. Mexico. Now that's got New Mexico on my mind. Minnesota. Sorry, Minnesota. Didn't mean to confuse you with Mexico. I sent him in there yesterday. Okay, now we're out of time. Team Loose on Facebook. Go see what we're doing. I'm planning my trip to Pennsylvania right now. Get details about what's available. Hey, see you tomorrow. Red Shirt Friday. Special treat tomorrow as a guest.